1: Hey, welcome, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the ride. John Scholes here, your host alongside Savannah Tamarkin. And over on the west side, it's going to be our good pal, Martin Willems, handling things. You guys want to reach out anytime, toll free. Across the board, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 821 Website is disabilityrights.ca. Email address, which we will get to here in just a bit, is help at disabilityrights.ca the main topic on the show here in just a bit this is really important to three ways that apply for cpp disability can help your ltd claim we will get to that very shortly but savannah of course we always start off with the case of the day or week that was what do you got going on pal
0: Absolutely, John. Let me start off by saying that, uh, you know, generally we talk about interesting calls that we had this week, cases that we're working on. You know, as long-term disability lawyers, we come across some pretty crazy fact scenarios and insurance companies acting unreasonably. And we have talked in the past as well about the treating providers, psychologists, chronic pain doctors, different kinds of of, uh, practitioners who help these individuals who are disabled, both apply for long-term disability and then provide updated reports when insurance companies request that information. Well, I have a friend, a good friend who is a psychologist, and she actually is just about to open her own practice. And uh, I, I was over at, uh, at her place with my wife uh, last weekend, and we spoke about long-term disability and she mentioned something which was quite interesting, two things actually. Number one, that she has been seeing a spike, uh, a big spike ever since COVID, understandably so with mental health issues anxiety and depression i mean she's always uh, you know dealt with people who had those kinds of issues but really since covid you know the world has been it's been topsy-turvy people have been feeling uh, disbalanced as uh, things have been happening at home at work so she's seen that spike of people being literally paralyzed because of their anxiety and depression and some ptsd and various phobias out there and, and she helps them of course navigate those issues and then of course we spoke about well How does that uh, work or factor in when we're dealing with long-term disability, when insurance companies look at these kinds of claims? And one of the things that really was interesting to me, and and again, we spoke about this before on different shows, is I I was explaining to her that when someone is unable to perform the essential tasks of their occupation, uh, then they meet the definition of total disability in an insurance policy, in an LTD insurance policy. And she stopped me right there, and she focused in, she zeroed in on the term total disability, or totally disabled, specifically the word total. Now, it was her, and it was her husband. Her husband is an engineer. And both of them, she is a psychologist and him is an engineer, when I was saying, well, this is what total disability means, both of them thought, that's not what it can possibly mean, because the term says total Total means complete. It means that the person must be catatonic, must be brain dead, must be confined to their bed, unable to do anything. And I said, no, 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 that's not what it means. And then, of course, I started on my rant because I'm very upset about this. I think this is an invented term by the insurance industry to essentially make people think claimants as well as treatment practitioners like this lady, the psychologist, the total means something that it doesn't actually mean in the context of long-term disability. So in regular English, right, regular lingo, John, when I say I totaled my car, I think we're both on the same page. It means that my car is not drivable. It right. needs to be... It can't even be fixed. It needs Good to be point. replaced. That's not what that means in the context of long-term disability. Let me give you an extreme example. Let's say you have a surgeon, and that surgeon was playing tennis on the weekend and hurt his baby finger. Because of that uh, uh, injury... To his baby finger, he now cannot perform surgery, which is really the essential task of his employment. He is now considered to be totally disabled under a long-term under a standard long-term disability policy, even though he just hurt his pinky finger. He yeah. can go for a run, uh, maybe he can play other sports, you know, soccer, he can certainly uh, uh, mentor people, he can do administrative work, he can do everything else except perform surgery. But because of that little injury, which is so crucial to what he does day-to-day in his employment, he's now going to qualify for long-term disability. I mean, think about that for a, you know for a second. No one, in, outside of our field, Martin mine's field, no one would ever say that this is a total disability except that in the context of long term disability, insurance policies, yes, he would qualify. So we had that discussion and I mean, she was really taken aback because up until now, she actually had patients where, when they asked her, will you support me in my application for long term disability, you know, I'm totally disabled from doing what I'm supposed to be doing. She herself was telling them, but you're not totally disabled. And I've heard this from many, you know, from many individuals before. Where family doctors would say this, don't even bother applying for for a long-term disability because you're not totally disabled, even though the person is, in fact, unable to work in in, in their own occupation. So this is something that needs to be talked about. We have to dispel this myth. We have to somehow undo the damage that the insurance industry has done to so many people out there who are entitled to this compensation from them. By the way, remember, these insurance companies, it's not government. These insurance companies collect premiums for this insurance benefit, which they are now not paying because many people don't even think about applying. That's how ludicrous this is. And in many cases, these insurance companies have collected thousands and thousands of dollars for these premiums. So we're talking about this now, but I, I thought I would bring this up because, again, this is a friend of mine. She's very intelligent. She's very educated. And she thought that... These individuals out there do not qualify or should not be getting LTD because of this one word, total. And and it's just, it's. I'm happy that we're talking about this, we're going to continue talking about this, but how many other people out there think about this, they're not even applying because of misunderstanding what that term means in the context of long-term disability
2: law. Martin, what do you got going on today, pal? How are you? I'm great, thanks, and you know, I, I'm happy that Sivan has broached the subject because in all the years that I've been doing this, this is something that I have been experiencing um, regularly. You know, we, we often speak on this show or in other media about long-term disability claims, but we also at times speak outside in public forums, where well, especially pre-COVID. And this reminds me of a time that I spoke at a clinic. I was invited to go speak at a chronic pain clinic to do a presentation on what total disability means within a policy. And you've heard me say this so many times, a policy is a contract. So when Savon speaks about total disability, we're speaking about what does it mean in terms of a contractual term, because that contract defines the rights and the obligations of both sides. And it also provides the terms. So hence, when we speak about total disability, we have to look at what it says in the contract. Now, Somebody outside of that, like doctors, like psychologists that S- Sivan was just speaking about, I remember when I did that presentation, speaking about the phrase total disability. You must have an illness or a condition that prevents you from performing the essential duties of your occupation. That's much different from the the everyday concept of total disability, as Sivan was saying. And one of the doctors at the clinic, who was a pain specialist and an as well, said to me, I never understood that. I always would think that would mean partial disability because the moment that somebody says to me that they are able to get out of bed, shower themselves, and eat by themselves, that immediately in the medical context means that they are partially disabled. Even though they cannot work, they are not totally disabled because they are functional to some degree in the activities of daily living. And I keep having these discussions with doctors and others to understand what does it mean to be totally disabled. For example, and Sivan also touched on this with the surgeon, I've had quite a bunch of cases over the past few years where we ha- we're dealing with professionals, especially medical professionals. And the policies that they have generally would be specific to their own occupation. There is no change of definition where later on changes to what can you do any other occupation and lots of them who work with their hands like a surgeon, in my case, I had pathologists who were working with microscopes on a regular basis, or chiropractors using their hands on a regular basis, having to manipulate people. And dentists, for example, who also have to do fine dexterity work with their hands. Over time, quite a bunch of them, quite a lot of them, develop repetitive strain injuries that they cannot work. And it then becomes an issue where outside of work, they can go to the gym, they can carry grocery bags, they can do everything. But the moment that they have to be that that they have to perform those very fine tasks of performing surgery, of manipulating somebody with your hand all the time, or performing duties with a microscope that you have to do eight hours a day. The moment you do that, the strain in your the strain injury that has developed over time, over years of work Prevents you from performing those duties. And that again is a difficult issue to communicate to doctors because they don't always understand it. And on the side of the insurance company, they don't like that at all. They don't like the fact that this person is functional outside of work but cannot perform the essential duties of their own occupation because of that repetitive strain injury. And that is an ongoing issue that I see that they get frustrated that they have to pay this person but they're not functionally disabled in other spheres of their life. But unfortunately for them, And fortunately for our clients, people who retain us, we can assist because the policy we will use in our favor as well. Like they want to deny people, we can say, well, this is what you contracted for. The person cannot perform the duties of their occupation, and their occupation is specific to being able to use this hand on a continuous basis. So it's a good topic. We're speaking about, we speak about it regularly, but it's something that needs to be spoken about in the future as well, because it is a very, very slow process for everybody out there to understand that we're not speaking about total disability in the regular sense. It is all specific to that contract.
1: Yeah it's interesting Savan how that contract what it goes back to it's I mean they're the ones who are denying but hey, it's your paperwork guys, it's written right here and you're kind of poking yourself in the face by denying it right
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. Martin's completely right. I agree with everything he said and, and again, the more people understand what their rights are, the more they understand how insurance companies go about this, these kinds of claims, the more they empower themselves, the better off they're going to be. That's just the reality.
1: And the topic for today, after we come back from a short break here, guys, three ways applying for CPP disability can help your LTD claim. That is on the way. And as we uh, cut into a break here, the first thing I want to tell you about you can use is the toll-free number to reach Sylvain or Martin or their respective teams, one 821 5900 and the email address, which we're going to get to here in just a bit, help at disabilityrights.ca, and then mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll continue on the Disability Law Show. Hang on. And welcome back, Disability Law Show, ready to rock again, one 821 5900 always the number you want to use, toll-free, reach out to Martin, Savannah, or their teams, you can do that, email us help at disabilityrights.ca, and uh, momentarily want to get into our topic for the day, but uh, Martin, you had something to uh, talk about and bring up first, what you got going on, pal?
2: You know, it somewhat ties into the discussion that we had about the meaning of total disability, that it is also focused and specific to the contract meaning the policy something that i have well over the years of course this is an ongoing thing but in especially in the past month i have been consulted by so many people who have been denied because of what is called pre-existing condition exclusions in their policies i have a and my, I have, and others in our firm I know, we all have these types of cases in place because the moment that there may be any semblance of a pre-existing condition, it seems that insurers deny these cases. So just as a bit of a background, again, we're speaking about a policy which is a contract. Basically all group policies provide that if you have not been insured for at least one year, and you then go off work within that one year. Then the insurance company can do a pre-existing condition investigation, because most policies provide that if your disability that you claim is preventing you from working later on, within that first year, if that disability is related to an illness or a condition that falls within a specific time frame before which you had treatment, then the insurance company can deny your claim. Now it's not always an easy concept i've spoken to many lawyers about this over time and i see that there sometimes is a struggle to comprehend what exactly that means because it can be complicated and specifically because it is complicated we invite people when they are denied based on a pre-existing condition by the insurance company even though they think that the insurance company may be right to contact us because just like in the total disability sphere when we speak about the common day language or the common understanding of that phrase I would say the same thing with respect to pre-existing conditions. Just because you have had depression basically for the rest of all of your life and then you go off because of depression at some point, yes, in the common understanding of what that phrase means, it is a pre-existing condition. But does it mean it is a pre-existing condition within the meaning of the policy? If you simply accept that the insurance company is correct when they say that to you, you will probably be walking away from hundreds of thousands of dollars over time in benefit payments or in terms of some form of a settlement, because you didn't do what you should have done, and that is contact us and have a discussion with us to review the documents to see whether it is a pre-existing condition. I'll use an example here, and I'll use the depression one. If somebody has had depression for a period of time, and they've been on medications which stay, keeps them stable so every three months they get a refill and it's some form for example I'll use Wellbutrin you're using that medication to keep you stable but then something happens at work and now you have a generalized anxiety disorder you have panic attacks things like that it's a new condition yes the two may go hand in hand then the insurance company says well we're not quite sure what happened here but we're going to deny it based on a depression case because it has been pre-existing even though the collateral condition of generalized anxiety disorder is new and that is disabling by itself there's an argument to be made that that indeed is not a pre-existing condition as that term is defined in the policy And in order for the insurance company to deny the claim, they have the duty to prove, like you have the duty to prove that you're disabled, the insurance company when they rely on an exclusion has the duty to prove that it is in fact excluded. And that's where you do have some leverage at least to negotiate with an insurer, or at least take them on because of that denial. There are many cases like this where conditions are maybe pre-existing, but is it pre-existing in the language of the contract? Because that contract will provide that, did you receive treatment during a very defined period of time? And if you did, yes, it may be a a denial. But if you didn't, it is not pre-existing in the contractual sense, even though it is a condition that has been longstanding or that you did have at some point in your life. And I wanted to bring that up again today because I've seen so many of these cases being denied over the past few months some of them the insurance company has been correct but i must say in a bunch of them the insurance company i don't believe is correct and i believe that we can make an argument on the cases that i have seen where we have been retained that the insurance company is ultimately not correct and again they have to make that they have to prove it so if you do have a denial based on a pre-existing condition or if you know somebody in your life like family member or brother sister whoever who has been denied don't let them give up hope because the best way to deal with that is contact us we will review the documents we will look at the policy and we will give you our fair opinion as to whether there is an
1: arguable case or not again guys toll free anytime reach martin you can do so one eight five 821 let's roll into our main topic for the today guys it's a good one too three ways applying for cpp disability can help your uh, LTD claim. Um, First of all, Savannah, I think before I get into these three main points, maybe just a quick 20 second definition, CPP disability, what is it? Sure, this
0: is a federally run government program uh, which is part of the CPP program, except that it's for people who have disabilities. So you, you ought to have obviously contributed to CPP. And if you are younger than 65 and you have a disability, whether because of an illness or an injury or a combination of both, and by the way, it can be physical or psychological, mental, uh, you may qualify for CPP disability if you have uh, a disability that is severe and prolonged—that's really important. And you can go on the government website, and you can you can uh, just type in CPP disability requirements, etc. But you will see them explain that to you. And, and you know, every year they—they they, I think for, at least for the past few years—they've increased the amount. I think now it's it's around fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars a month, approximately. That's the max, yeah. uh, and, and that is a benefit that you may be entitled to if, in fact, you make an application, you qualify. And in our office, we actually have people who help individuals who have been denied CPP disability or are interested in getting some help in applying. Uh, yeah, but typically it's a government program as opposed to an insurance policy, which is what we, we generally speak about when we talk about long-term disability.
1: Okay, point number one, an approval for CPP disability can strengthen your own LTD claim as the test to qualify generally is more difficult. Break that down for me.
0: So this is an opinion. Uh, Certainly I share that opinion. Other people at the office share the opinion. Uh, Martin, you can give your own opinion, obviously. But, you know, getting CPP disability is at least as difficult, if not more difficult, than getting long-term disability because you have to essentially show that you are disabled to such an extent that you cannot work. Uh, you know, for long-term disability, it's can you perform the essential tasks of your own occupation for the first two years or any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience beyond the two-year mark. CPP disability is whether you have a disability that is severe and prolonged. Uh, and, and, you know, the reality is that if you are a long-term disability and you apply then for CPP disability and you get approved for CPP disability, The insurance company is going to have a very hard time arguing that somehow at some point in the future you don't qualify for long-term disability because you're not disabled enough. Because the government, the federal government has recognized that you are in fact disabled, you have a severe and prolonged disability. So again, you know, if you are, if you qualify for that, how can the insurance company turn around and say, well, you're not disabled? It, it makes it very difficult for them to argue that. So that's what we mean when we say it can strengthen your own LTD claim. There are other ways it can strengthen it. We'll talk about that. But certainly if the government says you're disabled, we're going to pay you. The insurance company is going to have a tough time saying you're not disabled. We're not going to pay you. That's my point.
1: Number two, uh, Martin, I'll throw this one uh, maybe your way, says, in the event of being cut off from LTD by your insurer, you will still have a source of income while pursuing a legal claim, which is good, right? It is a
2: good thing, because we quite often get asked this question, what am I going to do, because the insurance company has now denied my claim, and the advice often is you have to then consider at least applying for CPP disability benefits, because unlike with insurers, they... There may be a review, but generally it isn't done on that basis. When you apply for CPP disability benefits, like Savon was saying earlier, it is more difficult because the assessment is not only can you do your own job, it is can you do any gainful occupation. And that's a difficult thing, right? It's to provide evidence and to prove that you cannot work in any gainful occupation. Many people will say to me, well, they're never going to accept my claim, but I see quite a few people who are approved because they do have proper medical evidence in place and their doctors support that they cannot work in any game for occupation. So, As your claim may be denied on the LTD side if CPP is in place at least you will have that as an ongoing monthly benefit being paid it doesn't get reviewed as often or at all Um, in some cases like the insurance company would do and in some cases if you have a child there may even be something called a child benefit which links directly to your benefit so if, if the child is under 19 years of age and you're the primary caregiver, so there may be further benefits to be paid, um, which obviously is going to alleviate some financial stress if the insurance company ultimately does deny your claim, or if they already denied your claim and you still have not applied. It's always a good idea to have that discussion with your doctor to see whether you can get the medical evidence in place to prove that your condition is severe and prolonged to the extent that it prevents you from engaging in any gainful occupation. So definitely, yes, it may provide some financial relief.
1: Let's get to point number three, Savan. By applying for CPP disability, you are giving your LTD insurer one less reason to cut off your benefits or reduce your monthly LTD payments. Why is that?
0: Well, you know, insurance companies use every excuse in the book to cut people off or deny claims. We have seen, Martin and I and the rest of our team, I think a collection uh, of of excuses that can, I don't know, rival, uh, uh, you know, the amount of stars that you have uh, in the sky. <laughs> it's just crazy sometimes the kind of excuses or reasons that they give, quote-unquote reasons. And one of the things that I have seen before insurance companies do is, you know, tell people you need to apply for CPP disability because it's in your policy. Let's that's, say that's they tell you there's a provision that says you have to. Uh, and then when people question why they should. Uh, or, or don't do it. Insurance companies, on on more rare occasions, at least in my experience, they'll cut you off because they'll say that, well, you you haven't complied with the terms of your policy. We told you to apply. It's in your policy. You must apply. You haven't applied. We're going to cut off your benefits. What happens in, in more frequently, however, is they don't cut off your your benefits, but they reduce your monthly LTD benefits by the amount that they think you ought to be getting from CPP disability. So let me break that down for a second. When people uh, apply for CPP disability, or are thinking about this uh, at the beginning, at least they think, OK, well, I'm getting my benefit from my insurance company. let's say it's two thousand dollars a month, as an example, for my LTD insurer. And I am entitled to potentially for an extra thousand dollars from CPP disability if I qualify. Oh, that's great. I'm going to get three thousand dollars a month if I qualify for both. Except that's not true. You're still going to get the two thousand dollars. You're going to get the same amount that you would otherwise get from your own insurance company except that your insurance company is going to be entitled to a deduction or a credit for whatever CPP disability gives you. So people say, well, what's the point of me applying that I'm not going to apply? And then what happens is the insurance company says, well, you haven't applied. We're not going to cut you off. But guess what? You had an obligation to apply. We told you to apply. You didn't. We are going to guesstimate how much you should be getting from CPP disability. And then we're going to unilaterally reduce your monthly benefits accordingly. So. You don't want to do that. You want to apply. There are benefits in applying. There are pros and cons, obviously. We also have a memo on CPP disability uh, on one of our websites, John, right, uh, ltdfaq.ca. You'll give that website out. It's a free website with memos, and one of the memos deals with CPP disability, so you can go to that and get you know answers to frequently asked questions. But again, don't give the insurance company another reason to do something bad to you. That's my point.
1: Yeah, really easy to navigate, guys. ltdfaq.ca. Go down there and uh, you just scroll down and pick a box and uh, click on it, and you'll learn lots about that. Again, CPP disability long-term disability is one of those particular boxes, ltdfaq.ca. Other than that, the phone number, toll-free all the time, 1-855-821-5900, and that email, which we're going to get right to now. Rich, thank you so much. Yours is coming up first. That is help at disabilityrights.ca, and we'll continue with the disability law show. Stand by. And we are back. Thanks for uh waiting through the break with us, and we're back at it any time after the show or otherwise you want to reach out to Martin or Savannah, you can do so, one eight five five eight two one. 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And as mentioned before, short, easy and to digest, uh, concise memos about LTD, and uh, topics under that banner can be found at ltdfaq.ca. Non-legal speak, it's real simple to navigate, and it's free and anonymous too. So feel free to use that anytime, ltdfaq.ca. Rich, okay, here we go, Rich's email. Talk in, boys. It goes like this. Uh, Hi, guys, I work for a large multinational company. I've been on LTD for 13 months. I also have CPP disability and the disability tax credit. I am a member of a union in relation to my employment. There is a very real possibility that there will be job action between the union and employer. But as I write, this job action has not happened yet. I contacted my employer HR to ask how job action will affect my LTD and other benefits. And HR told me that it hasn't been decided yet if it will continue to receive my, uh, if I will continue to receive my LTD benefits. I was further told that a decision about my LTD payments will be determined after job action takes place and to call back if job action occurs. I asked the insurer for a copy of the LTD policy and they told me to ask my employer. I asked my employer, HR, and they said they don't know if they have a copy of the LTD policy, and they'll get back to me. My health is already severely compromised, and the stress and worry surrounding losing my LTD benefits in the case of job action is extreme. I can't get a clear answer from the insurer or my employer about what will happen to my LTD benefit if job action occurs. Can my employer instruct the insurance company to cut my LTD benefit due to job action? That is totally out of my control. Can the insurance company themselves cut my LTD benefits if job action occurs? And if my LTD benefits are stopped due to job action, do I have any recourse? Thanks for the time, says Rich. Wow, a lot of things going on there. Lots of (laughs) stuff. Go ahead, Martin. (laughs) You You, You take this one.
2: Uh, there is a lot of stuff going on yeah and looking at this question so i see that rich is unionized so in some instances it may be a plan versus a policy but let's just assume without having seen the details of this this policy um it provides for regular cp uh, ltd benefits to be adjudicated by an insurance company because there clearly is an insurance company involved here your entitlement remember what we said when we started the show Your entitlement to LTD benefits is based on you proving that you are totally disabled within the meaning of the policy. In other words, that you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation. Rich has done more than that. Rich is receiving CPP disability benefits, which means, as we've just spoken about, Service Canada, the government is accepting that Rich cannot perform the duties of any other occupation to the extent that he is disabled on a severe and prolonged basis and he cannot perform the duties of a gainful occupation and he's getting the disability tax credit which is even more difficult to get because it has very very strict criteria as to how you can qualify so it seems that rich has a few programs on the go which have been approved which confirms his ongoing total disability the job action itself i don't see how that can be used to deny his claim certainly don't know why hr would be saying it depends on what happens with the job action if he's going to be entitled to benefits on an ongoing basis? The question is, does the rich qualify under the policy for benefits? Is he totally disabled? And if his claim vested, in other words, if it happened before the job action, not that it really should have affected in any event, but he was working when he did have coverage, he went off work, because he had a disability and they accepted his claim, the job action should be something that is outside of that analysis and should not come into the equation at all. So I'm not sure why HR would be saying that to him. And the same thing with the insurance company. They should not be saying, well, it's gonna depend on what happens with the job action. The question again is, has he qualified for LTD? He clearly has under various programs. So there shouldn't be a denial. And if they were to be because of the job action, I think we should be very interested in having a meeting or at least a consultation and reviewing why that is. Is this a regular LTD policy or is this some plan negotiated by a union, which is something different? So before I venture into um, giving a definitive opinion on this, I would want to have a look at the policy and if it is a plan, what the plan says.
1: Savannah, taking a crack at it?
0: yeah i i this is something that comes up quite often, not this particular fact scenario, but the question of uh, what happens if my employer uh you know goes out of business, what happens if they sell the company etc.? you know and, and the answer is you know to echo what Martin said here, look if you are already receiving l t d or, or in the process of receiving l t d you're in the system, so to speak. It has nothing to do generally speaking again subject to whatever Martin said here about the union and the plan and all that. It doesn't have anything to do with the LTD. The only way you can stop getting LTD benefits at that point in time is if you reach, you know, the age limit under the policy, which typically is 65 years of age, although sometimes it can be even more than that, but let's say 65, or if you're in compliance with the policy, or if you're in fact no longer disabled. But your employer, you know, switching hands, going out of business, typically has no impact whatsoever. I suspect what's happening here Again, we don't know 100% of what's what's going on. I suspect that HR is unaware or doesn't know and has simply given him some false information or incorrect information. Maybe they're confused. Remember, people make mistakes. Martin, you and I see all the times unions giving people the wrong advice when it comes to long-term disability such as you have to appeal, you know, the the denial or you have to do this or that and this is not within their expertise. You know, HR doesn't necessarily deal with this on a day-to-day basis, so they may think that they know what they're talking about when, in fact, they do not. All as the a time, general we role, see that all the time regularly. Yes. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate because they don't say check with a lawyer; they simply give information that is incorrect. And by the way, in many circum, in some circumstances, not many, but in some, that could actually create liability on the employer so i i would even say that you know employers out there should be very very careful and themselves get legal advice before they you know dispense advice like this to individuals who legitimately do need this long-term disability coverage and support i mean otherwise again they're opening pandora's box there so so rich we'd be more than happy to speak with you after the show to get more information review the documentation uh i do think i will say this you know he's mentioned john this anxiety that he has every single individual that contacts us has tremendous anxiety as it relates to their disability but also as it relates to the insurance company that they're dealing with or their employer and that's what we're trying to explain to you that we can uh, help you with that anxiety but reduce it by giving you information by giving you correct accurate legal advice for free i can't stress that enough for free there's no reason not to contact us and get this information
1: and with that, I will give you the contact information right now. It's really simple. If you caught it earlier on the show, here's how it goes. Toll free, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And for other questions, you can ask anonymously, mydisabilityquestions.com. A few minutes to go, a couple more emails on the way as well as we continue the disability law show. Hang on. And one. Welcome back. Disability Law Shield. Thanks for sticking around. You can reach out to Martin or Savannah. they got great teams working with them as well. You want to make that toll-free phone call, have a chat on your own speed, on your own time, you can do so. 1-855-821-5900. We also offer up the email address of help at disability rights dot.ca. Dennis's uh, Dennis, rather, is up next. Guy says, "What advice can you give for someone with fibromyalgia and other underlying conditions for moving forward to applying for disability?" My doctor uh, could not advise me. Uh, what do you suggest I do next? Thank you. Looking forward to your reply. Says Dennis. Dennis, no? No, thank, no, thank you for you. that question.
2: So, fibromyalgia is a claim. Well. Uh, It's a basis for a disability. It is recognized as a disability. Um, Do we see cases denied based on fibromyalgia cases? Often, yes. Because insurance companies quite often would say, we deem this to be an invisible condition or a condition for which there is no objective medical evidence. Now, I would venture to say this, that I've seen very few, I have, but very, very few disability policies where the insurer would say we require objective medical evidence and even in that case right fibromyalgia is recognized as a disability as an illness as a condition and it is widely known that it can be disabling so how do you prepare yourself for a disability claim the advice would be see your doctor on a regular basis if your doctor is not well, most doctors would be somewhat qualified to deal with this in the sense of a family physician but if that is the case where the doctor may feel that they're not entirely qualified Have your doctor refer you out to a specialist, follow through with the recommended treatment advice, and be clear when you see your doctors on a regular basis to tell the doctor what your complaints are, what your restrictions are, and what your limitations would be. Fibromyalgia often has chronic pain, it has diffuse pain throughout your body, it would have brain fog, and often is accompanied by psychological issues like anxiety and depression. So be sure to communicate all of those things to your doctor when you visit your doctor, and again on a regular basis, so that if the insurance company does deny your claim at some point, then there is a paper trail of all the complaints that you re- that you reported to your doctor, so that it cannot be said that these things were not there. And again, if there were to be a denial on this, we would be happy to assist by reviewing the documents. All of us, be it in BC, Alberta, or Ontario have ongoing cases related to chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, and mental health disorders because the ones that are often denied are the ones where the insurance company may say there's no objective evidence. We cannot see the fibromyalgia on a CT scan. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So in cases like that, we can definitely assist. Again, contact us. We can look at the documents, the policy, the denial letters, but it can be an uphill battle for people to try and handle by themselves because of that type of denial. Uh, I've seen cases where individuals would have tried to appeal it, which is not something that I would recommend, especially in a situation like that when you're dealing with the issues related to chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. So reach out to us and we should be able to assist you.
1: Okay. So how much time we got now left or is that it? Okay. We'll get to Abigail. Here we go. Coming, uh, before you do
0: that, John, let me, let me yep. also say something here and then we we'll go to Abigail. Okay. I think so. Okay. Go ahead. Cut in. Yeah. I, I agree with everything, of course, Martin said here. I can tell you that I remember when I used to work years and years ago for insurance companies, uh, there was this uh, you know, um, thought back then by defense lawyers, uh, many adjusters, that fibromyalgia was just a made up thing. Uh, and really, I myself did not fully appreciate the extent of this, uh, of this illness, this disability, uh, the symptoms, the debilitating symptoms of severe fibromyalgia until I uh, became friends with a chronic pain doctor who took me and explained you know in detail the diagnostic criteria uh, he showed me some literature and really explained to me that he sees this on a daily basis and then uh, as it so happened one of my family members actually was diagnosed with it so you know it is a very very rare you know a, a real thing but insurance companies will often dismiss it the way they dismiss sometimes chronic pain. Because you have this, you know, catch-all phrase, except that fibromyalgia is actually a defined condition. And, and, you know, there, there, there is criteria that you have to, to, uh, uh, meet in order to have that diagnosis. As to whether or not it gets misdiagnosed is a different story, but you do have certain criteria you have to meet. And the other thing I would say to Denise here is that irrespective of long-term disability, and for people out there as well, you can also sometimes, uh, qualify for and get access to government disability programs. And, John, that website we spoke about before, ltdfaq.ca, contains a memo that specifically addresses this. Uh, it's called Government Income Support Programs in Ontario, B.C., and Alberta. So you can always go there. You're going to get some questions, some links as well that are going to help you. But I'll tell you this. If the insurance company denied you for any reason, including that your fibromyalgia or chronic pain or any other condition is not sufficient enough to entitle you to get long-term disability, our number should be front and center in your mind. You should be calling us or emailing us, speak with me, speak with Martin, another member of our group. You need to get the information you need. Don't let the insurance company bully you or dismiss you because these conditions are absolutely real and they are disabling. That's what people need to understand. They're disabling and often there is a psychological overlay too. You know, when you become so tired, you can't sleep, you're in pain, you're exhausted, it affects everything about your functionality and insurance companies unfortunately don't necessarily appreciate that or they do sometimes but they still take the chance of denying the claim or dismissing you because the reality is that many people will simply walk away from these claims and not challenging insurance companies and that's what we're here for not just to give you the information you need but if we tell you you have a case and you want us to help you with that case we'll be more than happy to go after the insurance company you won't have to do it you'll just have to give us the go ahead to go after them and to force them to pay you what you owed.
1: Are you safe, Savannah, with doctors reaching out in that regard because, you know, you're not doctors but they're also not lawyers, right?
0: One hundred percent and oftentimes, unfortunately, we have people telling us what doctors are telling them and doctors are sometimes giving the wrong advice. You know, we started the show with me telling you about the psychologist friend that I have Mm -hmm. and she herself admitted that after speaking with me, she's been dispensing some incorrect advice and the problem is that doctors are not lawyers. They are doctors just like we are not doctors, we are lawyers. So again, if doctors out there, if they want to reach out to us. It will cost nothing. We're more than happy to guide them, tell them what needs to be in their reports, and help them help their patients with these long-term disability claims.
1: Guys, great stuff as always every week. You want to reach out now that we're wrapping it up for another show to uh, Martin in BC and covering a BC, Alberta, and Ontario, Savannah as well, you can do so, 1-855-821-5900. That number's toll free. Of course, email help at disabilityrights.ca. You can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. Use that to fill out your questions anonymously. And if you have uh, any other questions or queries about LTD, you want it in a very short, digestible manner, non-legal speak, it's easy, L tdfaq.ca is where you go and we'll catch you next time on the disability law show the proceeding was a paid
0: commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser the opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw